It's our new life in Christ, and it's what we'll talk about and discuss next here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. And again, greetings in Christ, and welcome to Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Today, we're back in Romans chapter 6, taking a look at our life in Christ and what that looks like. Also, we'd like to tell you about NorCal Fire, coming Friday, September 9th, Saturday, September 10th, and we are the host church here in Redwood City. Please make it a point to join us. We'll tell you more at the close of our broadcast. But for now, let's catch up with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse, here in Romans chapter 6, as we take a look at our new life in Christ on this edition of Graceful Truth. These aren't just imaginary transactions. These aren't just things, well, you know, you just got to have faith. No, these are things that really happened. Jesus really did die for our sin. He really did suffer for our transgressions. And similarly, his righteousness really has been transferred to our account so that God accounts us righteous in him. We don't have any righteousness of our own. Our righteousness comes from Christ. And that has a bearing when it comes to verse 11 of our text in Romans chapter 6. Even though he kind of Before this chapter, he tells us that we're to do and certain things that we're supposed to do and certain actions we're supposed to take. But he says it all starts with counting as true what God has already stated for us, what he has already done for us. And this is so critical. Um, You really have to stop and you have to ask yourself as a believer, do you really understand this? Do you get this? Because you can't really go on unless you understand this base truth in your Christian walk. Let me say it this way. The first step in our growth in holiness is counting as true what is, in fact, true. The key to living the Christian life lies in first knowing that Christ has taken us out of Adam and has joined us to Jesus Christ. That we're no longer a subject to the reign of sin and death. That we have been transferred into the kingdom of God's abounding grace. That's a fundamental truth. You need to understand that. You need to believe that. It's really the secret to a holy life is believing what God says, understanding who you are in Christ. Now, there's certain realities here that Paul wants us to understand. He wants us to understand certain things. He wants us to to believe as facts certain things. He wants to reckon. He wants us to consider two things. First of all, the first reality is that we're dead to sin as believers. We're dead to sin. If we are a Christian, if we have put our faith, our trust in Christ, then we are dead to sin. It does not mean that we're immune to sin. It doesn't mean we're perfect. It doesn't mean we're immune to temptation. It doesn't mean that we will not sin. It means that we are dead to the old life. We can't go back to it. That's the first reality that Paul states here. We looked at that last week, that we died to sin. Verses 3 and 4, he restates it. He says, we're baptized into his death. We're buried with him through baptism into death. When Christian gets baptized a little later on the service here, we're going to 
lower her down into the water. Baptism always means to be immersed. We'll dunk her in the water, and we'll, we'll, we'll bring you back up, Christian. Don't worry. We'll, we'll bring her back up. Why? Because Christ went into the grave, and he was raised on the third day. It's a picture of our life in Christ. Verse 6, verse 5, he says, we've been united with him in his death. Verse 6, he says, our old self was crucified with him. Verse 7, again, he talks about being that we died with Christ. All those things are factual for those who have put their faith and trust in Christ. They describe something that has happened, just like the sun came up this morning. We are standing up there at the sunrise service, and my iPhone said 645, and I'm waiting for the sun to come up. It was wrong. It was a little late. And all of a sudden, everybody's standing there with their cameras, and I said, it should happen any moment here, you know? And it took a good another three minutes, and all of a sudden, you saw a little pop of a thing over way on the horizon. And then all of a sudden, it just filled the sky. You know, we weren't up there going, hmm, I wonder if it's going to come up today. I don't know, maybe it won't come up. No, we knew it was going to come up. It's the same idea. All these things are factual of those who are in Christ. And so on the basis of that truth, Paul now tells us to count ourselves or consider ourselves as having died to sin in Christ Jesus. Martin Lloyd-Jones says it this way, Consider and keep on cons- constantly and consider and keep constantly before you this truth about yourself. In other words, learn to think of yourself as one who has been delivered from the sin's realm. And this is a a very pivotal text that we have to understand. Now, I want to share with you a couple things that this does not mean. It does not mean, first of all, that it is my duty as a Christian to die to sin. People teach that. Oh, as a Christian, you've got to die to sin. The text has nothing to do with our duty. It is only concerned with the fact that we have already died to sin. We don't have to die again. Secondly, it is not a command for me to die to sin. That's not what it's stating here. How can God tell me to do something that's already been done for me? That wouldn't make sense. Thirdly, it does not mean that I am to reckon that sin as a force in me dead. You know, kind of positive thinking thing. Well, if I just say it's going to be dead, then it'll be dead. It's not saying that. You can't just say that and it's not going to be true. It, it, your words don't have that kind of power. Because sin is a force in me. Though it's a force whose effective power over me has been broken, it's still a force. If you don't believe me, just ask my wife. She'll tell you. It doesn't mean, fourthly, that sin in me has been eradicated. You know, you've seen the bumper sticker. Christians are not, what, perfect, just forgiven, right? We're not perfect. Christians don't walk on water. Christians aren't people who never sin or never tempted. No, Christians are saved sinners who struggle with sin all the time, if they're honest. But it's because of the glorious resurrection of Christ that for the first time in our lives we have the power to overcome that sin. That's why the Bible calls us overcomers. It doesn't mean that sin has been eradicated. Fifthly, it does not mean that I am dead to sin as long as I am in the process of gaining mastery over it. That would make the statement refer to something experiential or experimental. It doesn't refer to that. It refers to a past act. It's something that's already happened. We're dead to sin. 
And then sixthly, it does not mean that reckoning myself dead to sin makes me dead to sin. (laughs) That's really backwards. What Paul is saying is that because we have died to sin, past tense, we are to count on that. That's the first reality that Paul wants us to understand in verse 11. That's what he says. So you must consider, what do you want us to consider, Paul? Yourselves, first of all, dead to sin. The second one is this. The second reality is that we are to consider ourselves alive to God. Just like we're to consider ourselves dead to sin, we're to consider ourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus. You know, that's the only way to really be alive to God, is in Christ Jesus. You know, there's a lot of stuff going around today out there in the theological world. Well, you know, you can, you can still be a Muslim or you can be a Buddhist or you can be whatever. You know, I'm sure God understands as long as you have faith. No, that's not what the Bible teaches. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said very boldly, I, I, Jesus, am the way, the truth, the life. He didn't say, I'm one of many ways. I'm one of many truths. There's many ways to life. He didn't say that. So if you're going to believe in Jesus, and you're going to believe that he's a good teacher, and you're going to believe that he was a good man, then you have to believe that he's the only way, because that's what he said. So either he was telling the truth, or he was a liar. And the last time I checked, liars weren't good men, liars weren't good teachers. So it's kind of basic truth. The only way we can be alive to God is through Christ. And that statement completes the parallel there in verse 5 in which Paul says if we have been united with him in his death we will certainly be also be united with him in his resurrection we need to understand that the resurrection of Jesus Christ referred to here in this text is not something that is future he's not saying that he's not talking about a future resurrection of believers He's not talking about the day when our bodies will be risen from the dead if we die before the Lord comes back. No, he's talking about the present reality, the present experiential reality of living in Christ's resurrection life now, today. It tells us that just as we have died to sin, we have to count on that, we have to reckon that, we have to consider that, so we have been made alive in God to God in Jesus Christ. And we must count on that also. See, there's a negative side and a positive side. This is the positive side. If you've come today, the negative side was last week. You've come on a great Sunday. You're here for your positive things. Now you say, well, I haven't heard a lot of positive stuff yet. You talk about sin, you talk about this. But you know what? The fact that Christ rose from the dead is positive news because our sins can be forgiven. That our relationship with God can be restored. So secondly, and this is in your outline, to overcome sin, we have to know that you are totally identified with Christ in the likeness of his resurrection. To overcome sin, we have to know and believe that in the future, and even today, we share in Christ's resurrection victory over sin. So Paul's command here to consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus really is saying, hey, you know what? Because Christ rose from the dead, you can count on that. You can count on that. We believe that we shall live with him. It's not pointing there to a future 
event. It's pointing to something that is a truth right now. That we will one day experience complete victory over sin. That's, that's future. But right now we can count on the fact that we've been risen with Christ if we put our faith and trust in Him. Leon Morris puts it this way. Paul is saying that the believer lives with Christ now and that this union will be even more wonderful in the life to come. Now here's how this works when you face temptation. Let's just get down where the the rubber meets the road. Perhaps you're tempted to use drugs or get drunk or escape from the pressures of life somehow, whatever it might be, or you're, you're tempted to go back into sexual immorality in your life, whatever it might be. But you realize that in Christ, you have been crucified to that old corrupt way of life. And you're now identified, you're united with Christ in both his death and his resurrection. His new life, the Bible says, is in you. And someday, you will receive a new resurrected body that cannot sin. Why would you want to sin now? Paul asked that rhetorically in verse 21. What benefit of chapter 6, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of, the outcome of those things is death. See, knowing and believing the truth of your present position of sharing in Christ's death and resurrection really helps you break the power of sin in your life each and every day. It's a very practical application. Secondly there, B, he says, to, to overcome sin, know that Christ's resurrection represents his complete and final victory over sin and death. Verse 9 in our text kind of gives us the, the reason for this. Verse 9, he says, we know that Christ, we know. Moo calls that a, a, a causal principle. The thought is this, we believe that we will live with Christ because we know that He is now beyond the reach of death. His resurrection signifies that we will never die again. Death is that He will never die again. Death is no longer mastery over Him, it says in verse 9. And He says there at the end, He says, death no longer has dominion over Him. And then in verse 10, it kind of explains what He just said. For the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. Aren't you glad that when Jesus died on the cross, he died once for all? Aren't you glad that he didn't come out with some salvation plan that said, well, yeah, Jesus kind of covered for your sins up to this point, but, you know, that's, that's his death. But now, if you sin from this point on, you're on your own, and so you got to go die on a cross. I, I'm glad he didn't do that. I'd already be dead a million times over. So, you know, and we'd all be there with me. I mean, that's just not a good way to go. His victory over sin and death was complete. We don't need to work for our salvation. Do you understand that? We don't need to do religious things somehow thinking that that earns us brownie points with God. That's not how the Bible says it works. That's how we want it to work. So maybe, you know, we'll... Dust that Bible off once in a while and read it. And because we do, we think, oh, now God's going to bless me. It's ridiculous. He deserves our praise, our worship. It's not a bartering thing with God. His resurrection puts all the terrors of sin and death behind him once and forever. 
And it says the life he lives, he now lives to God. It doesn't just imply that his life prior to his resurrection was not lived for God. That's not what he's saying. Morris goes on, he explains it this way. His life is beyond the reach of death and every evil. It is a life lived positively in and for the glory of God. No longer with the negative aspect of putting away sin. So the thought there in verses 9 and 10 is that Christ's death and resurrection completely and finally conquer sin and death. John Piper says it this way in one of his books. He explains the benefits of this. He says, sin can't enslave a person who is utterly confident and sure and hope-filled in the infinite happiness of life with Christ in the future. Well, let's get to the practical side here. Thirdly, to overcome sin, continually count or continually reckon as true the fact of your being dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. That's what he's saying. He says it three times there. Verse 3, he says, or do you not know? Verse 6, he says, knowing this. Verse 9, he says, knowing that Christ. See, knowing who we are in Christ, beloved, is foundational to living a spiritual life. I firmly believe that there are so many Christians that struggle in their spiritual growth because they don't understand who they are in Christ. So we need to continually count ourselves, it says, dead to sin and alive to God. And that's all because of the resurrection. That's all because of Christ rising from the dead. If he did not rise from the dead, we wouldn't be here this morning. The the, the truest thing really about you is not what you feel. It's not what you feel, but what God declares to be true. Victory over sin begins with your mind, how you think, not how you feel. It's not just a mind game. I'm not saying you just go throughout life telling yourself, okay, I'm just not going to sin. I'm not going to sin. No, it's, it's not positive thinking. I'm not talking about that. He isn't saying visualize yourself as this sinless person. No, he's not saying that. And eventually you'll act that way. You know, go to bed and put the Bible under your pillow and hopefully it'll absorb into your... He's not saying that. He's saying this. This is the fact of who God has made you in Christ. You are no longer in Adam, alive to sin, but dead towards God. Rather, you are now in Christ Jesus, dead to sin and alive to God. Think on that truth. And as you think on that truth, you will act so. So consider it over and over and over as often as you face temptation. Remember, Christ is not in the grave. He rose from the dead. We live in the light of our union with Christ. It's a key to overcoming sin. When she was young, Victoria, the future queen of England, was shielded from the fact that she would be queen one day so that she wouldn't be spoiled. When her family finally did let her discover for herself that she would one day rule as queen, Victoria's response was this, then I will be good. See, her life from that point on was controlled by her future position. She would be the queen, so she acted as a queen should act. See, in the same way, the fact that we are united with Christ in his death to sin and that one day we'll be raised up to life with him eternally, that should cause us to proclaim that, you know what, then I will live a holy life. I will strive to live a life that's honoring to Christ. 
counting on our union with Christ in his death and his resurrection is true, it's the true key to overcoming sin. You can stop and you can ask yourself this, well, what does this being made alive to God in Christ really mean? What changes have taken place? I'm just going to share a few with you. First of all, we've been reconciled to God. In the early chapters of Romans, it was kind of depressing, to be honest. All we talked about was sin and wrath and judgment and death. But God has lifted us out of that kind of downward spiraling sequence by giving us such things as grace and obedience and righteousness and eternal life. Even though we were subject to the wrath of God, but Christ, having risen from the dead, puts us, as we put our faith and trust in him, in a favorable position before God. Before we were God's enemies, now we are called his friends. There's a new relationship. We're reconciled. We're brought back to our proper relationship with God. Secondly, we become new creatures in Christ. Not only do we have a new relationship between ourselves and God, which is wonderful in and of itself, but we've also become something new. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 and 18 says this, Apostle Paul, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Another way of putting this is to speak of regeneration or being born again. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You must be born again. Thirdly, we're also freed from sin's bondage. Before we died to sin, we were made alive and made alive to God. We were sins of our own sinful nature. Sin was ruining us day by day. And even when we could understand that Boy, my life's a mess. I got sin all over the place. And we realized that we understood we couldn't do anything about it. It was something we couldn't just stop doing. The general downward destructive drift was unchanged. Not able to deal with sin. See, but being made alive to God, we discover that now we're freed from that destructive bondage. Yeah, we still sin. But not always and not as often. And we know that we don't have to do it. For the first time, we're able not to sin. We can achieve real victory. And then fourthly, we are pressing forward to a sure destiny and new goals. I mean, before we're just trapped in this world by all the time-bound evil horizons, just, you know, working our way up the ladder, only to find it leaning against the wrong wall. But being saved, now we know that our God has a purpose and a plan for us and that we're destined for an eternal fellowship with God and glory. And we know we're not perfect. We haven't reached it yet. But we echo Paul's words in Philippians, not that I have already obtained this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He says, brothers, I do not consider myself, this is the Apostle Paul saying this, to have taken hold of it yet, but one thing I do... Listen, he says in Philippians 3, 12 to 14, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. 
Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. One other note as we conclude our time together today, you're invited to join us for NorCal Fire, getting people fired up to warn the lost of the fire to come. This conference will be held here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, Friday, September 9th, and Saturday, September 10th. Andrew Rappaport, Carl Kirby Jr., Carl Kirby Sr., and Jordan Hall, just a few of the guest speakers for this conference. NorCal Fire is designed to equip Christians to talk to the lost and immediately put what they've learned at the conference into practice with guidance and support from seasoned evangelists. For further information, visit their website, strivingforeternity.org. That's strivingforeternity.org. Or call us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, 650-366-9923. And then come back and join us next time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Mm -hmm.